As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Following on from there, chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away, him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Andy. There's a story of a man who was visiting church one Sunday evening. And he sat where you sat today, and he got really, really frustrated with the preacher. And he grabbed hold of the pastor after the service and said, Mate, you've got to work on your sermons. Every time I come, I hear the same message. And the pastor said, Well, that's because you come once a year on Easter Sunday. <laughs> it's Easter Sunday. So my message tonight is going to be what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. And I, and I can think of no better topic to speak on than the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you? If you grasp the full implications of the resurrection, if you've understood that because of the resurrection you have the hope of eternal life, because of the resurrection you have the hope of new bodies, because of the resurrection your sins are forgiven, because of the resurrection you can be utterly confident of spending eternity with your maker. There is no better topic to speak about, is there? We heard from Justin earlier that Jen lost both her parents last year. She wrote an email this week. I'm going to read a couple of sentences. The resurrection has taken on such a new preciousness and perspective for me this year. For obvious reasons, but I guess I didn't expect it to hit me in this way. The hope of seeing my parents again and knowing where they are now is really the only place where I can find true comfort. I see Jesus' triumph over death with a fresh sense of its reality in an urgent, tangible, and visceral way. And I know many of us here tonight can identify with that. When you've lost someone you love, to know that they're with Jesus, to know that they're out of pain and at peace with their God, to know that you're going to see them again, it's the most comforting The most profound truth, isn't it? He's risen. The tomb was empty. And that changes everything. And we should be shouting it from the rooftops. He is risen. There's an English preacher who spent his whole life preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. Uh, He died of of esophageal cancer. A few weeks before his death was Easter Sunday and he had no voice with which to speak. And so he grabbed a pen and paper and he wrote a letter to his daughter. He said this, It is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout, He is risen. But it's more terrible still to have a voice and not want to shout that amazing truth. And yet most of our world are not shouting it. It is the most profound, most glorious truth in history. It changes your yesterday, it changes your your today, it changes your tomorrow. The first words from the empty tomb are there in chapter 28, verse 6. Look at it with me. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said. Take a look around the tomb. You will not find Jesus because he is risen. He's alive. 
I hope you know that, that the, the risen, reigning Lord Jesus is at the, the center, at the, the heart of the Christian faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, if Christ is not raised, our faith is futile. Let me say it. If Christ is not raised, if the resurrection did not take place, can I just politely tell you to just get out of here? Go and do what everybody else is doing. Sipping their lattes, watching Sunday evening television, sailing on the harbour. If Christ is not raised... We're to be pitied more than anybody else. We're just fools. But if he is raised, it's the most glorious truth in history. If he is raised, raised, it changes our everything. Tonight I want to look at the certainty and the consequences of the resurrection. First, the certainty. Before I was a pastor, I was a mathematician, and mathematicians like facts. They don't want theories, they want facts. They don't want fluffy feelings, they want facts. That's what I love about Christianity, it's built on facts, on evidence. Let me give you some quick facts. Uh, Fact number one, the resurrection was predicted. Jesus promised he'd suffer, he'd die, on the third day he'd rise again. Everyone heard that, including the chief priests and the Pharisees. You see that, chapter 27, verse 63? Sir, they said, We remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. Let's think about that. If if Jesus did not rise, if he didn't keep his word, then he's a liar, isn't he? And you can't take anything he said as being true. The resurrection was predicted. Jesus really was dead. You could read the Gospels, the trials, the beatings, the floggings, the crucifixion, the spear through his side. Please don't tell me Jesus was not dead. He was buried. The tomb was easy to find. This, this man, this rich man, Joseph from Arimathea, he offered his expensive, unused tomb, and Jesus was laid there with the burial cloths, and there were soldiers guarding the tomb, and a big stone and a seal. He was really buried. That's a fact. And then you've got the eyewitnesses. You've read about them, the women who went to the tomb, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. They saw everything. They saw Jesus die, chapter 27, verse 55. They were there at the cross. Chapter 27, verse 61, the women were there at the tomb. They knew where the tomb was, and they were there at the empty tomb on that first Easter morning. I've said it before, If this was made up, if this was fiction, let me tell you who you would not have as your eyewitnesses in the first century. You would not have women. Because in the first century, the the testimony of women held no weight at all. But in God's amazing wisdom and perhaps humor, he chose women to be the first eyewitnesses. Oh, lots more people saw Jesus. The disciples on the Emmaus Road, Doubting Thomas, Peter, James, John, Paul, 500 people, lots of people saw the risen Lord Jesus. And then you've got the empty tomb. This is the big one for me. I used to think that if I could see Jesus, then I could be certain. But the empty tomb is more important. If you just saw Jesus, you could say, oh, you know, it could be a ghost or it could be a hallucination. But when the women went to the tomb, the tomb was empty. In 1887, 22 years after Abraham Lincoln died, 
22 years later, there's this rumor that he wasn't really dead. So what did they do? They went to the tomb and they dug up the body. And what did they find? Some bones. Uh, 14 years after, so, so 36 years after he died, the rumor resurfaced. So what did they do? Went back to the tomb and they dug up the, the body again and there was the bones. And I'm here tonight to say you could go to that tomb and you could search and search and search and you would never find any bones. Because he's not there. He's risen. Please don't give me the wrong tomb theory. Please don't tell me the disciples stole the body or the robbers stole the body or the authorities stole the body. The tomb was empty. If you've ever lost someone that you love, you know that the, the tomb or the headstone is actually a very precious place, isn't it? It's a place where you can go and you can lay flowers or put a photograph there or light a candle. There's not a scrap of evidence that anybody ever went back to that tomb. There was no flowers, no photographs, no candles. It's not a shrine for a dead man. Because he's not dead, he's alive. And then you've got the early disciples whose lives were transformed from timid to bold, from fearful to boldly preaching Christ. You've got the early church before the resurrection. The church met on a Saturday. After the resurrection, we met on a Sunday. But most importantly, verse 6, you've got the explanation. He is not here. He has, what's the word? Risen. He wasn't resuscitated. He was raised. They didn't come to the wrong tomb. He was raised. You ever wondered why, why Matthew's gospel doesn't finish at chapter 27, verse 54? That'd be a great place to end the gospel. With the centurion saying, surely he was the son of God. Full stop. But it can't end there, can it? Because he hasn't been raised yet. So my first question tonight is really, really simple, but, but really profound. Do you really believe that Jesus was raised? Do you really believe the tomb was empty? Do you really believe that Jesus was raised bodily? Do you really trust in the risen, conquering Lord Jesus Christ? I spent two years as an 18-year-old investigating facts. I was interested. What stopped me believing was actually my intellectual pride. You know, I'm an intelligent guy, and no intelligent person really believes that dead men can rise. We're not talking about a man, are we? We're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the one who left heaven and became a man. And so I spent a long time researching and studying until the resurrection really mattered. See, what happened for me was that my father passed away when I was 20. And when someone dies, then the resurrection matters. Then it becomes more than just an intellectual exercise. So let me ask you, do you really believe it? Do you trust it? Do you live life by it? Would you die for it? 
If you don't, if you've got questions, can I recommend a course called Christianity Explored? It starts on the 20th of April. Come along, ask all your questions. Uh, That's the certainty, that's the facts. Let's look at the consequences. I'm here tonight to tell you the resurrection will change your past, your present, and your future. It changes your past. If you trust in the resurrection, you can sit here tonight and you're not burdened by your sin. You're not weighed down with your past and your feelings of failure. You you don't sit here tonight shackled by all the the wrong things that you've done and the, the the good things you've failed to do. Your sin has been dealt with. Because the cross really did work because of the resurrection. How do you know the cross really worked? How do you know? How are you sure that you're not going to get to heaven on the last day and God will look at you and say, Ha, I fooled you. The cross would never really work. Jesus wasn't perfect. His, his, His sacrifice wasn't sufficient. You've still got more to pay. Off to hell. How do you know that? Because of the resurrection. The resurrection is kind of like God's stamp of approval that the cross really did work and your sins really are forgiven and you are free indeed. There's nothing more to pay. When I was at university, I used to work in a a factory to earn some money. I had the job of sorting out different sized screws for eight hours a day. Other people had a great job. They were the end of the production line and for eight hours a day... They looked at the finished product. There were sewing machines we were making, sewing machines, and, and they put a, a sticker on it or a stamp to say, fit for purpose, fit for purpose. That's like the empty tomb. It's saying the cross really did work. Your sins really are forgiven. And if you believe that, it changes your past. Please, please, please don't go through life way down and burdened and feeling guilty about the past. No guilt in life, eh? No guilt in life, no fear in death. Leave it at the cross. Jesus can deal with it. It changes your past. It changes your present. See, if Jesus is raised, that means he's not dead. And someone who's not dead is is alive, isn't he? If I was to tell you that our, our prime minister is is seeking help from Abraham Lincoln, is asking Abraham Lincoln for help, you'd say he's an idiot because Lincoln is dead. How can he help? If I was to tell you that our best scientists in Australia are seeking help from Albert Einstein, you'd say, that's crazy, Einstein's dead. How can he help? If I was to tell you that people are calling out to Muhammad or to Gandhi or to Buddha, that's crazy because they're all dead men. But if Jesus is alive, what does that mean for you and I? It means that you and I can just talk to him. He's alive. He's living. It means that you can bring all your requests, all your hurts, all your happinesses, all your sadnesses, all your successes. Prayer is one of the most beautiful gifts that is ours because of the resurrection. If he's still in the tomb, you can't pray to him. But because he's alive, he's there. What was the last thing? I'm always with you to the very end of the age. So talk to him, cry out to him. He hears you, he listens. It's not just prayer. Because of the resurrection today, you have a purpose, you have an identity, you have a security. 
If you trust in the resurrected Jesus, your, your security is not in your stuff. It struck me recently, we just accumulate so much stuff. We buy stuff. We hoard stuff. We box up our stuff and we get bigger houses to box up more and more stuff. As though this stuff will actually satisfy us. Or we have these dreams and aspirations, that, these goals that will make us happy. They don't. But when you know the risen Lord Jesus, your life has a different purpose. You're living for him, living for his glory, because one day you're going to see him. And it starts now. It changes your everything. And if you trust the risen Lord Jesus, you live with hope. Hear that word? Live with hope. Let me quote from the missionary Gregory Fisher. It's a long quote, but it's a good one. What will Jesus say when he shouts? The question took me by surprise. I'd already found out that West African Bible College students can ask some of the most penetrating questions about minute details of Scripture. Reverend, he said, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, it says that Christ will descend from heaven with a loud shout. I'd like to know what the shout will be. I wanted to leave the question unanswered. To tell him that we must not go past what scripture has revealed. But my mind wandered to an encounter I had early, early in the day. I met a, a refugee from the Liberian Civil War. The man, a high school principal, told me how he was apprehended by a two-man death squad. After several hours of terror, as the men described how they would torture and kill him, he narrowly escaped. He hid in the bush for two days. He was able to find his family again, but two of his children lost their lives. And the stark cruelty unleashed on an unsuspecting, undeserving population had touched me deeply. I also saw flashbacks of the beggars I pass each morning on my way to the office. And every day I see how poverty destroys dignity, robs men of, what, of the best of what it means to be a human, and sometimes substitutes the worst of what it means to be an animal. I'm haunted by the vacant eyes of people who have lost all hope. Reverend, he said, you haven't given me an answer. What will Jesus say? Enough, I said. He'll shout, enough. I looked surprised, open the face of the student. What do you mean, enough? Enough of the suffering. Enough starvation, enough terror, enough death, enough indignity, enough lives trapped in hopelessness, enough sickness, enough disease, enough of this decaying world, enough. It's a good answer, isn't it? Enough of 147 Kenyans murdered. Enough of mental health issues and miscarriages and enough of disease and debilitating illnesses, enough of child abuse, enough of domestic violence, enough of Poverty, living alongside lavish, indulgent, grotesque living. Enough. That's the hope of our world. This world is messed up. This is not as good as it gets. 
And because Jesus has been raised, he's coming again to usher in his new kingdom, the perfect kingdom. That's what we live for today, isn't it? The hope of tomorrow. The hope of the perfect world. So the resurrection transforms your past, your present, and your future. What are we saying? No guilt in life, no fear in, in death. You know the reality is that one person dies every three seconds. Today, a quarter of a million people have died around the world. You can't avoid death. If you avoided it so far in your life, one day you'll face it. Someone that you love will die, and one day you and I will hear the words, I'm so sorry, there's nothing more that we can do for you. But, listen to this. The tomb was empty. He's risen. Death is not the end. Death has been defeated. Death has been conquered. Oh, death, where is your sting? I love this quote. Christ broke up every funeral service he ever attended because death could not exist where Jesus was. And if we are in Jesus, if we are in Christ, death is not the end. And that transforms our grief, it transforms our our attitude to our own death and to those that we know who are dying. And, And please don't forget that we have the hope of new bodies. Because of the resurrection, you can be confident of a resurrected body, a perfect body, an imperishable body. I was reminded this week that our bodies are frail, they're fragile. They're decaying, they're deteriorating. I was sitting in my office at about 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning. I got a knock on the door. And a lady said, oh, there's a family outside to meet you. And I came into the courtyard and there was a family there, David and Sharon Holgate with their two kids. And I hadn't seen them for 18 years. I, I, I used to work with David at the University of Cape Town 18 years ago. They'd been flown from Cape Town to New Zealand and then to Melbourne and then to Sydney. All flights were paid for, all accommodation was paid for, all food was paid for, and they were given tickets to the Cricket World Cup semi-final and the final, and they sat in the player's box. How amazing is that? Let me tell you why they were paid for those flights. The flights were paid through something called Reach for the Stars, a bit like a Bright Stars Foundation here in Australia. Because David and Sharon's eldest son is 12 years old and he has a condition called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And he's dying. He's now in a wheelchair because his leg muscles do not work. Uh, When they return home to Cape Town, his electric wheelchair is waiting because his arm muscles are deteriorating. And the life expectancy of a a person with this disease is is late teens. I had dinner with David and Sharon on Thursday evening. And we have extraordinary faith. And little Daniel, who's 12 years old, talks about Heaven, 
and his new body with his perfect legs and he's going to leap in heaven. And he's right, isn't he? Because of the resurrection, you and I are going to have perfect bodies. No more cancer. No more leukemia. No more migraines. No no more disease. Nothing. Perfect, imperishable bodies. Don't you long for that? If you don't long for that, one day you will, because one day your body will fail you. And you've got to remember that Jesus Christ was bodily raised so that you too will have a resurrection body that will never perish and never fade because of the resurrection. So I'm here asking you again, do you believe it? Do you believe the tomb was empty and Jesus was raised? If you do, it changes everything. Please don't wander around burdened by your sin and leave it at the cross. Please talk to your Savior today because he hears you, he's alive. And please look forward to your new perfect bodies because death is not the end. Because death's been defeated, hasn't it? Christ is risen. It's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you, Father, that death could not hold Jesus down, that he is risen. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you burst from that grave. We we praise you that you've left us the evidence. You haven't left us in the dark, but you've shown it to be true. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're here now, that you are hearing our prayers, that you are with us always. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And for those of us here, Lord, tonight, whose bodies are failing and are frail and are aching, please remind us of the assurance and the confidence of those new permanent homes that we will call our resurrection bodies. For those, Lord, who are grieving, for those who have died in Christ, I pray that you'd help them to grieve with hope because of the resurrection. And Father, if there are people here tonight who doubt, who question, who, who don't believe that Jesus was raised, Lord, would you please open their eyes? Lord, we thank you. We thank you the tomb was empty. Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah.